13th chapter. The whole chapter has to do with civil life. Living in this world here below. So, entitle it, if you will, Consecration in Civil Life. Chapter 13 is divided into three parts. Now, the total thing is the Christian among the government. Chapter 13 is consecration, Consecration's duty toward the government. It divides itself into three parts. Uh, number one, Christian citizenship, uh, relationship, uh, relationship to civil law, number two, and the great incentive, number three, as it closes out that chapter. But now Christians in relationship to the law, there are several things. Number one, uh, this stated here, first of all, the duty. I've got the outline on the board, if you can understand it, uh, we're dealing with this here, verse 1 through 7, uh, the Christian citizenship, which is the first part of the 13th chapter. Uh, I gave the three parts of it, uh, of the whole chapter, up here. Down here we begin our study in verse 1 through 7, if that, that helps you. And so, uh, first of all, the duty. He says, let every soul be in subjection to the higher powers. So what's the duty? Obedience. Subjection. Uh, that's the duty that we have. There's the duty enjoined, be subject. Let every soul be in subjection unto the higher powers. Uh, somebody says, well, what if it's an ungodly government? Well, what kind of government was in Rome when Paul wrote this? It was an ungodly one, wasn't it? It was about to become the most ungodly one because the book of Revelation was written in view of that political scene back then. And it shows emphatically that God rules these nations. I mean, these people in just three years are going to have Nero as their king. Three years from the time Paul wrote these words. Uh, we ain't never had a fella like Nero. Uh, bad as we've had, we've never had one like Nero in America. <coughs> We've never had one that was worthy to carry his tennis shoes. I mean, this fellow Nero was a pervert, a weirdo. Uh, you'd do yourself a favor if you'd go on Google and study a little bit about Nero. I'm not going to go into it. Uh, I mean, Nero is a fellow... Uh, until uh, you get to Domitian, who was even worse than that. He was the one that was the 666 in Revelation. He was that man. And that's the very kind of government in which Paul enjoined obedience when he wrote this in that time. 
There's no such thing as righteous civil disobedience. There's no such thing. Civil disobedience is ungodly as long as there's constituted authority. All right? In the second place, he says, let every soul be subject to the higher powers. Here's why. For there is no power but God, and the powers that be are ordained by Him, by God. Now, not only is there power from God, but what kind of power is it? It is one of ordainment. God ordained this power. Uh, they not only have power God allows them to have, but they themselves have ordained power. Now the devil has power that God allows him, but I'm not subject to him because his power is not ordained power. Now the devil's subject to God. He's not all-powerful. Uh, in the book of Job, he has to ask God for permission to, to uh, make an attack on Job. And God thinks so much of Job and knows that his, his faith will enable him to stand against anything that the devil has. And so he allowed it, and he allows the devil on us. Temptation is a good thing. Count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptation. Didn't James say that? Uh, but this is an ordained power that we're discussing here in chapter 13. It is ordained of God. That means it's instituted by God. Now, I think you're getting a picture. You, you vote against the government. You go against the government. You're going against God. And Jesus being our example, do you ever remember reading anything of the life of Jesus, how he rebelled against Rome? Never. Never. And so that's the reason why subjection is enjoined. It's because it's ordained of God. That means that every single power that a government uses is a God-ordained power. It... Uh, may not use it in a God-ordained way, but the policeman is God's ordained. The governor is God's ordained. The Senate, every member is God-ordained. Every law in the United States that doesn't violate God's law, and I don't know of any that does, is God-ordained law. Even the one that says 70 miles an hour out there on the highway is God-ordained. Every law that man makes is a God-ordained office. Uh, in a God-ordained office is a God-ordained law, even if they don't keep it. It says for the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit on Moses' seat, Jesus said, Matthew 23. What uh, he said, what they did, what they bid thee to do, do. But don't do like they do, for they say and do not. But when they ordained something, whose seat were they sitting on? Moses' seat. And this government is sitting on an ordained seat that God gave them. You see the point. You see the argument. 
a God-ordained seat. It was their seat that caused them to have authority, not their character and not their practice. And so, regardless of how corrupt these rulers may be, their office is God-ordained. Uh, so we don't we don't judge them by their character and uh, their practice, but we obey the law that comes from the federal government. Now they get out of whack once in a while, don't they? And what happens? The courts set them back in order. It sometimes takes a while, but it's not our job to go out here and fight these kind of battles. Our mission is much more important than that. Ephesians 3 and verse 11 says that we, the church, are to make known the manifold wisdom of God. And we've got our hands full with the job that we've got. What did Jesus do? He made known the manifold wisdom of God, the plan of God. He fulfilled it, made it known, and fulfilled it. All right. In verse 2, Paul talks about the denial of that being rebellion against God. He says, therefore, he that resisteth the power that he's ordained, uh, he withstandeth the ordinance of God, and they that withstand shall receive to themselves judgment. Pretty serious, isn't it? And so you want to be careful talking rebellion against the government. Now, it's your government, you can you have a vote in it, and you can complain about things. But be very careful about going to war against the government. That's not your job. It's not really your job to complain because who's looking on to the government? The very one that ordained it, God. And he'll bring about justice. He tells you in many ways, in many places, that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay, not you, not you not your job. Isn't your job classification at all to go around repaying and trying to see that justice rules down here? Does God allow some unjust things? Yes, he does. Why? For the redemption of ruined humanity. Israel wanted a king. God said, that's bad for you. It's no good. You don't, you don't want that. Yeah, we want to be like the other nation around the valleys. And God, the scripture says, in his wrath, gave him a king. He said, all right, you've rejected me as your king because I ruled you through the judges. And you, wanna, uh, you want a king to be like the other nations? Well, I'm going to show you the wisdom, my wisdom versus the wisdom of your smart people, your world, your colleges. And so he gave him a king gave him Saul. First thing, first commission Saul was given, he disobeyed it. And yet he claimed to obey it. Remember when he was charged to go out and utterly destroy the Amalekites? He didn't do that. He come back with King Agag and the fattest of the sheep and the cattle. And Samuel met him and said, what is this that I hear? this bleeding of the sheep, and Agag. And Saul claimed that he had done what God commissioned him to do. And Samuel told him, he said, that isn't what God said at all. 
He said, utterly destroy everything that breathes. Man, woman, and child. God's vengeance was on the Amalekites because they refused to allow Moses and the children of Israel to pass through to Canaan's land. Remember, in earlier history, and God is the avenger. He is the one that uh, takes vengeance, not you and me. He's the one that rules these governments, not you and me. He's the one that does allow certain things that looks ungodly and are in some cases. But he allows them to teach men lessons. You know, if a little dog poops in the living room, uh, you warn him and warn him, and finally the only thing you can do is rub his little nose in it, and then he don't like it. And he decides maybe he needs to go outside. And that's, did you get that point? That's the way God works. Man just insists on things that's no good for him, like a government, and God gives them what they think they want. All right. If I resist ungodly Nero, that was ruling at this particular time, uh, in his governmental office, now when he steps out of that governmental office and assumes a priestly office, what can I do? Uh, fooey on him uh, as a priest because that's not what he's ordained for. But long live the king. I mean, he has no right over here as a priest, does he? Not at all. For here is where he is ordained of God in the government. But when Nero stands in his official capacity as governmental head, and makes a decree, it is a God decree. Whether you like it or not. What if, uh, if it conflicts God's law? Uh, well, don't ask that question because you already know the answer. Uh, that's just making uh, a question to get out of Caesar's decree. It says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Isn't that what the Lord taught? <coughs> Absolutely. Uh, what belongs to Caesar? Well, we're reading it right here. Civil obedience. That belongs to Caesar. I don't care what his name might be. It belongs to Caesar. If it belongs to Nero, then it belongs to anybody, right? And so whoever the man is in office of government, that respect and obedience belongs to him. This book was written to people that shortly after they read it would have Nero to follow and obey. It didn't say do this for three years, then forget it when Nero comes on the scene. Didn't say that at all. But in three years from this writing, Nero's coming on the scene. And this text still stands in its authority. It didn't say do this for three years and then forget it. The Bible doesn't lay down temporary principles without telling you that they're temporary. If it's custom, the Bible says custom. Uh, won't it? Otherwise, the Bible is a descriptive book because these things are supposed to be 
the commandments of God. Paul said, If any man is a prophet or spiritual, take knowledge that what I write unto you are the commandments of God. So what's Paul writing here? If what he writes is the commandments of God, then what's he writing here? The commandments of God. But in our foolish desire and foolish uh, interpretation of independence, we don't like this teaching. I figured that half of you got up and already and walked out on me. But Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 1 through 4, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead. You preach the word, be it in season and out of season. That means when they like it and when they don't like it. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when men, even in the church, will not ex will refuse sound doctrine and will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they'll be turned away from the truth unto fables. And so I thought a little bit about this before I come up here this evening. I figured about half of you'd already be gone. Man's pride sometimes works on your legs and they get up and walk out, stomp out. They just got to show defiance. Well, you defy the government, you defy God. Not our job. Not our job to run in political offices. It's our job to become elders and deacons, and ministers of the Lord and His Word. It isn't our job to run up here to be a school counselor. And how can you fit in with an ungodly world when the majority of us going to hell anyway? And that's the decisions they make is hell's decisions. How do you expect to go up to the school? It's very naive of a person to, to even suggest that he might do some good up there at the school board. You're going nowhere. You're dealing with worldly people that has no use for God or His Word. You ain't going nowhere. Well, <clears throat> so Paul's writing the commandments of God. But in our foolish desire and foolish interpretation of independence, we don't like that kind of teaching, this kind. And number four, then there is the vindication of civil obedience. By telling you that this fellow is a servant of God. Uh, who's he talking about? Is he talking about elders? No. He said, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. And wouldst thou have no fear of the powers? If God give them that power, I'm going to be fearful of it. Uh, do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise from the same. For he is a minister talking about the, 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 the government that's ordained by God. For he is a minister to God for thee, for good. And so does the government serve God. Yes, it does. Is it corrupt? Yes, it is. Can God use a corrupt government to do his bidding? Yes, he can. He used Balaam's ass to talk to Balaam. 
and it struck Balaam. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is a minister of God, an avenger for wrath to him that doeth evil. That's a pretty severe warning. Who does God intend to smack with a sword against the wicked in the civil area? The ruler. Now you don't spank with a sword. Thayer defines the word makaira as used in a civil uh, environment as a symbol of the ruler's power over life and death. Uh, uh, that's in the Greek that Makaira is a dagger that the king carried. It was a symbol of his authority of life and death. Uh, uh, into whose hands has God put in control over physical life and death? The rulers. Paul said, if I have done that which is worthy of death, I, I, I don't refuse to die, but I appeal to Caesar. Now, what's he appealing to Caesar to do? Well, Caesar was the Roman governor. He was appealing to him to protect him and his life in the civil courts, in the civil. Uh, now, that's a very important principle. That means the judges down here, the police down here, driving around on the street, the highway patrol that protects you from fools out there going over 70 miles an hour and things like that. Uh, and the legislature, the governor, the president sitting in the Oval Office, and all those are servants of God. And therefore, to whom will they stand accountable for any uh, abuse? They'll stand accountable to God. He's the avenger. But sometimes we get our nose into out of joint and get it into God's business. He's told us what our business and our work is. Stay out of his work. Stay out of his business. Follow the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll not find governmental rebellion in the Lord. I thought about searching all of you before we come in tonight. Make sure you didn't have any rocks. But I guess I'm secure behind this pulpit. Sure you are. Don't you trust the wrong thing? Of course, it's kindly if you throw tomatoes rather than rocks. <laughs> Somewhere I got the idea, somewhere, that this government is of the people, and by the people, and for the people. If a government's corrupt, whose, whose fault is it? Our fault. We vote these fools in. We vote these laws in that we have to corrupt all the time. Does God allow that? He certainly does. These things are training exercises. They show us how stupid we really are. 
We're studying in 1 Corinthians on uh, Wednesday night. Particularly in the second chapter, Paul brings out, well, even in the first chapter, how that God makes foolish the wisdom of this world. And he does, day after day. And if you can't see it, it's because you haven't been reading the principles by which God rules this world. You and I had to have nothing to fear down here. Isn't that what Romans 8 and verse 31 says? Since God is for us, and he is, that's evident. Since God is for us, who or what can be against us? He that went to the degree of not even sparing his own son, in view of that, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? You're God's elect. And who's going to charge you with sin? Because it's God that justifies. Who's going to condemn you? There's a third question that's asked in Romans 8. Certainly Christ ain't because he died for the condemned. When we was condemned. And Paul concludes that we're more than conquerors through him that loved us and gave himself for us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth uh, nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come can separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. And so we don't have anything to worry about, do we? Uh, so I get the idea that the government is of the people and uh, by the people and for the people. And notice what he puts first. And I believe he put, uh, put it in the correct order. Unless this government is of the people, it cannot be by the people. And unless it's by, of and by the people, it cannot be for the people. And so Paul's dealing with a good government, isn't he? Uh, on the grassroots level, you lay a, a, a proper foundation, you might be able to build a paper house. Now, what's going to be the foundation of civil order? Christian obedience to civil government. That's what's going to be the civil order. Uh, these people that are flooding into our country from other nations, you see, it holds true in any government. A government is of the people, for the people, by the people. But what happened to their government? Well, let me put it just bluntly. They pottied in their own nest, and they don't like the stink, so they're coming up here and they want to potty in our nest. Because they, when they get up here, what are they going to do? They're going to do like those Californians. They're going to come into Idaho and Montana and places like that, and they're going to begin to run for school board and change the school system. They're going to run for mayor of the city and change all of that. Look at that idiot over there in, in Seattle. Idiot to the core. Did God allow her to have that authority? Yes, he did. Why? Well, read Psalms 2. He that sits in the heaven, verse 3 says, shall laugh. Because he'll have the stupidity of man in a derision right quickly. Has he got America in a derision? You bet he has. And is he laughing? That's what Psalms 2 said he does. He's up there laughing. I mean, if you insist on ignoring his word, that'll teach you. 
his wisdom versus the world's wisdom, then you're partying in your own nest and you ain't going to like the stink. And you get to a point to where pretty soon there ain't no place to run. But those people coming across the border have a place to run. Personally, I hate to see them coming across the border. I would like to tell them very bluntly, you potted in your own nest, go home and clean it up. Because nations are of the people, for the people, and by the people. I believe that. I believe that today, that America is of that nature. But look at the people. The hand rocking the cradle rules the world. Look at the hands been rocking the cradle in the last few generations. It'll scare you to death. As goes the home, so goes the nation. Those are truisms. Now, then Paul talks about the spirit of that. He says, verse 5, we obey not only uh, uh, for fear's sake, wherefore you must needs be in subjection, not only because of the wrath, but also for conscience sake. Uh, if I'm consecrated to God, I don't have to have a, a rear view mirror or a CB radio or a truck driver blinking his lights as he comes with and toward me telling me to slow down because there's a cop up there. Uh, if I'm consecrated to God, I don't need the fellow looking over my shoulder to make sure I don't steal. I don't need supervision out at work because I'm not going to be a thief of the man's property. Uh, but I don't have to have somebody looking over my shoulders is the point. All I got a clear conscience all the time to, to make sure I obey the laws. Because I obey not only because of the wrath of that sword that this, the governor carries or the president. Uh, I, do not, I, I not only look toward his sword, but also look toward God. And I want a clear conscience. And so I not only fear the ticket, uh, the ticket book from the police officer, I fear the fellow who has another book much superior to it called the Bible, <laughs> the Lamb's Book of Life. Then he talks about the illustration. Uh, the illustration that he uses is taxes in verse 6. He says, for this cause, uh, because of wrath and, and conscience that he just talked about, he says, for this cause, wrath and conscience, for this cause also ye pay tribute, uh, for they are ministers of God's service, attending continually upon this very thing in serving God. He said to illustrate the fact uh, that you recognize this, you're paying taxes. You recognize these fellows that are servants of yours, and that's why you're paying taxes, because the labor is worthy of his hire. Now that's another biblical, God-given principle. A labor is worthy of his hire, and you pay your taxes. God's taking care of the government. 
And then he gives finally in verse 7 the call again to civil obedience. And he does it in four different areas. First of all, in the area of personal taxes. He says, render up to all their dues. Uh, you look up the meaning of these words and you'll find out that that has to do with the personal tax, uh, taxation of a fellow. That's what's due. Uh, he says, you give tribute to whom tribute. And there's individual uh, taxation. You give custom to whom custom. And there's export and import taxes. And by the way, uh, that's what the word means, not custom in the sense that it's custom to wear a veil or a custom to do this or that. This is talking about something else called imports and export taxes. And he says, fear to whom fear uh, in that verse. Uh, in other words, you give reverence, veneration, uh, wherever it's needed. Honor to whom honor. You give respect to whom respect is needed. You won't find a Christian out there uh, spitting in the police's face. You just won't find it. He's not a Christian doing that at all. Rebelling in any way. If a policeman has overstepped his bounds because of his e e ego, his eagerness, or because of his stupidity, we have ways of taking care of that, don't we? And we know because of the nature of human nature, we know we're going to get some officers like that. We're going to get some welders that slide in that don't know their trade. Now, we have this problem, but they can be taken care of. But we're not the kind that goes out there and hollers and yells. And In fact, Peter says the world thinks it's strange that you and I don't run to rioting like they do. Did any of you run over to Seattle and Portland and, and Los Angeles and Chicago during all that rioting and carrying on? No, we're not the kind of people. But there are those kind of people because we see them on television, breaking windows and stealing and, and rioting and killing people. Those are the four areas other than just strict obedience to law that he says you will involve yourself in. That is personal taxes. You might say property tax or buying uh, taxes, excise taxes in other words. Uh, but veneration or respect, there are some people, if I lived in a certain environment that I must give more than respect to. If I was born and raised in Thailand, the fellow that lives in the center of Bangkok is worthy of more than respect. He's worthy of veneration. He's the king. See, you give a different honor to the king as supreme than you do to the governor sent by him. Peter said that in 1 Peter uh, 2, verse 13 through 25. Uh, so there is a veneration uh, over a... Uh, relevant respect that the irreverent respect that the king uh, deserves uh, I wasn't going to do this but let's turn over to uh, 1 Peter 2 verse 13 through 25 because it does teach 
uh, enjoined with Romans 13. So let's read it. At least you want to get it in your notes. 1 Peter 2, verse 13 through 25. <clears throat> Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, not for your sake, for the Lord's sake. See, we're trying to further the kingdom of God by preaching the word. We're trying to reach the lost. And God help us when we go out here and make a regular ass out of ourselves in a worldly way and join in with the world in rebellion and all of that. That's not our mission. And so submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to kings as supreme, there we talked about that a minute ago, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with uh, well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as, uh, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servant of God. Honor all men. Now what's that say about war? Am I going to honor him with an M1 or an AK-47? No, that's not honor. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God and honor the king. Now that's teaching the same thing we're reading over here in Romans 13. Uh, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Uh, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. Because if you're a Christian and you're listening to God's advice, what's he telling you? Son, it's none of your business what goes on. If you're mistreated, that'll be taken care of. I am the avenger, and I will repay. I'll take care of the matter, but suffer in your obedience to God. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when you were buffeted for your faults, ye take it uh, patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us. Now look at that next statement. You need to underline that in your Bible. Leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. So anytime you have a question about what's right and wrong or the way that you should go, who's the first one you look to? What are we studying in Hebrews, the, the 12th chapter, verse 2? Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Is there some things you're going to have to endure, like a cross, uh, not, not necessarily like he did, but the cross symbolizes endurance of something that you didn't deserve, doesn't it? All right, can you do that in obedience to God? Well, that's the admonition to you and me to do that. 
Uh, well, let's see. Who did no sin, and neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. Oh, boy, but you let somebody revile us, and man, we get up, and we can get up loud with words, bad words. Can't we? Because we've got to justify this thing. We've, we've got to maintain our honor. <laughs> we think. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Now there's a statement that, that uh, you need to spend some time thinking about. The man that suffers godly he commits himself to God that judges righteously. Let God take care of it. This is his world. These are his people. They're not yours. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. And so in your Bible, you might want to mark down uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 13 through 25, along with the side of Romans 13. Because if you ever have to go there to discuss it with somebody, you have a verifying text from Peter that says the same thing. My opinion, whatever it's worth. <sighs> well, in chapter 13, verse 8 through 10, we have the relationship of love to civil uh, law. Love and the law has this relationship. Love fulfills the law in verse 8. That's what it says. The idea of that is not that it keeps it, but that if you, if you love, you have fulfilled the law. Because that's what the law said, love God, love your neighbor. And on those two hang all of the law and the prophets. If you have love, you have already fulfilled the law. Now the second point is love keeps the commands of God. Love is not only that which fulfills the law, but love even if you're loving, uh, you're even keeping the commandments. And then the third point is love blesses the neighbor. Love is the fulfillment of the law. The whole law is fulfilled in your love. If, you, uh, if you're loving, you're keeping the commandments. And if you're uh, loving, you're uh, blessing your neighbor. Now, I think it's an interesting uh, preaching point here, uh, those two points. There's a debt that can fully be paid, and there's a debt that can never be paid in these verses. Paul said, Oh, no man, anything. Now that's a debt that can be fully paid. You can get to the point that you are owe no man anything save to love him. Can that debt ever be paid? That debt can never 
fully be paid. So there's a debt that can fully be paid, and that is a, a negative debt of not owing a man anything. And you can get to that point in life. But after you owe him uh, nothing, there's still something that you owe him, and that's to love him. And that debt you'll be paying the, the rest of your life till the day you die. So that's a debt that can never be fully paid. And so there's a debt that can fully be paid in the sense that it's not obligated to the man in any physical or mental way or spiritual way ever. But now there's a debt that is totally unpayable, and that's the debt of love. Owe him that debt. That's what this text says. Owe him nothing, but in this case of love, owe him that debt. You owe him to love him. If I owe a man nothing else, what do I owe him? I need to love him. Well, time's up. Next week, we'll begin in verse 11 down through 14, and you see on the board there uh, the great incentive. We've seen the Christian citizenship. We've seen the relationship of love to civil law, and next week we'll go into the great incentive and finish out this this chapter and I want to commend you for not getting up and stomping out because although I said these words up here I have difficulty with them because I want vengeance I don't have that right but I want it there's a craving an animalistic craving that I have to deny. I've often thought if it wasn't for the Lord, I, I think I could be a pretty good killer. A very bad person. If it were, he's the only checkmate that stops me from being some of the things that I could be like the world. So... Anyway, that's why I thought you guys might stomp out on me. <laughs> and yes, I've got a bunch of rifles and pistols, but I don't intend to shoot nobody. I'm trying my best to love them and do good to all men. <laughs> Thank you. Let's stand while we sing our closing Encamped along the hills of light, ye Christian soldiers rise, and press the battle ere the night shall veil the glowing skies. Against the foe in bales below, let all our strength be hurled. Faith is the victory we know that overcomes the world. Faith is the victory, faith is the victory. Oh, glory that overcomes the world. His banner over us is love, our sword, the word of God. We tread the road, the saints above, with shouts of triumph trod. 
to the brain. 